Filmmaker Commentary, Episode 12. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm here with... KCG Smith. Welcome back. Welcome back. Good to be back. So, uh, the purpose of this podcast, we're here to help you become a better media producer, filmmaker, by listening to the commentary on tracks of certain movies, as well as the special features. How do you prefer to watch your commentaries, Casey? Me, me personally, I like to watch the movie like all the way once, all the way through. Then after I get to watch it as an audience, then I like to come back to it and then play the commentary track and um, take my notes that way. Now, sometimes it's not always possible to do that because that's a lot of time, especially sure. with you know the movie we're going to be talking about today. But how do you like to watch your films and then kind of digest the commentary? Great question, Reginald. It depends on how uh, recently I've seen the film. If it's if it's been a while and I don't really remember a lot of the beats, and also sometimes depending on the length of the film. Um, but if it's something that's 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 new, like when we, you know, Cabin Fever, I hadn't seen before, right? So I I had to watch it first because I did want to get the the cinematic experience. Plus, I, I wouldn't want spoilers. I, I nah. speaking of spoilers, there will be spoilers today. Yes, there will be. Um, but uh, yeah, if I haven't seen it in a while and I don't have much recollection of it, then I'll, I'll definitely watch it through, um, and then go back and watch the commentary and and make my notes off of that. And sometimes maybe take in some special features if, if time permits to kind of just help bring a little more weight to the table. Today we're going to be talking about the movie Casino, made in 1995, had a budget of 40 to 50 million dollars, mm-hmm. box office of about 116 million worldwide, and let's talk about what were the critics saying at the time. We're going to cut to Siskel and Ebert. He's told this story in different times and places in much more exciting ways. One note, I wish that I could show you some of the many violent scenes in the casino, but the distributor isn't releasing any of the brutal beatings. They're trying to sell this as a love story, but as a love story, casino doesn't work. So a mixed review, but ultimately, thumbs down for me. Thumbs down? Yep. I'm astonished. Why? I, uh, I, I, I mean, you think this was fresh? Uh, I, uh, at the very least, Gene, it's thumbs up, and I think it's a lot better than that. And I'll just point out one thing. You didn't like the relationship between De Niro and Not Sharon Stone. To me, no. that was fascinating. This is a breakthrough for Scorsese, who throughout his career has always had this same kind of male-female relationship involving the guy who loves the woman up to a point and then decides that she's no good or not good enough for him. In this film, here's a guy who tries to be reasonable, who feels that he can buy and control and figure out the odds on everything. And he gets a woman who won't be controlled like that, who is a wild card, and that is why not only his life comes to pieces, but because of this relationship with this woman, the mob loses out in Vegas entirely. It's a fascinating story about how... Just the lust and love between these two people eventually led to the mob leaving Vegas altogether. I think that uh, you read the picture the wrong way. I think that exactly what happens is in in, in a shot of a big lion, and I'll leave it like that, Mm -hmm. you understand the dynamic that really pushed the mob out of Vegas. It was corporations, not uh, one man's love Oh, you're talking about the fact that the junk bonds took over from the Teamsters Fund as a source of financing. That in itself is a fascinating other aspect of this movie. One of the things about the movie I liked is the amount of information it has. 
how the casinos operate, how they uh, enforce security, yeah. how they took care of that guy at the blackjack table by giving him a phony heart attack so they could get him into the back room and, the docudrama and pound on him stuff, for a while. The this stuff is stuff, terrific. The docudrama stuff is all of yeah. the personal stories. Did You never felt that you had seen this stuff before? I, from the personal stuff. Pesci, you hadn't seen that stuff? with I hadn't Nero? seen it in this way. And nevertheless, even if I had, I saw it before in Goodfellas. That was a great movie. Great it was movie. your choice of the best movie of the great year. Movie. To actually tell people you don't think they should see Martin Scorsese's I, Casino yeah. is shocking to me. It is not I shocking. can think of 200 movies this year that I would tell them not to see before yeah. I would get to this well, one. This I is can... a very watchable movie. Certain sections of it are watchable. I'm really grading this as a piece of work by Scorsese, and this is not his best work. Well, as by somebody else, how would you grade it? Would it be thumbs up if it was from some other director? Uh, I don't think so, Roger. I think I would have said that this is an uneven piece. Okay, so apparently <laughs> Cisco hated the film. He was basically saying that um, for him, he it, it felt like like Goodfellas again, where it was nothing new. It felt like there was nothing new. In his opinion, there was nothing new to it. Ebert's pissed. He's like, wow. what do you mean? So if this was another director, would you like recommend? Would you not recommend this film if it was another director? Because mm. you loved Goodfellas. Yeah, I did. I think it's a great film. But And then so Ebert is like, he's pissed off. He's like, this is a great film. What are you talking about? Wow. I, I agree with Ebert, and we'll 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 go we'll dive into some of the reasons why a little bit later. The commentary itself, to me, it felt like a little bit pasted together. The actual commentary, sure. And I didn't like the fact that there wasn't much on the technical side. In this commentary, Martin Scorsese, he's speaking more about the backstory uh, versus you know, hey, this is how I did this shot. And I was hoping he would you know say, hey, this is how we accomplished this shot because I was asking some questions about some of these shots because he really showed us a few tricks in the film. What about you? What do you think about the actual commentary itself? Uh, likewise, it is a hodgepodge. Even on the, the, the Blu-ray or DVD itself, it says it says specifically thoughts from mm -hmm. director Martin Scorsese and Sharon Stone. And when I was initially making the purchase, I looked in the back and didn't say it was a, it was a commentary track. And I was like, hmm, I won't buy this. There's not actual commentary right. on it. And right. so, but once you get into it and you find the track, it is a commentary track, but it does seem like it was pulled from potentially maybe different, maybe interviews or maybe, maybe from press junkets, but it's, yeah, it's, it's people, I guess it is a commentary. People are making comments about the film, the process, but well, I think one thing that was missing that, missing that really kind of uh, was great on Goodfellas is Scorsese talking more about the filmmaking process and even even having uh, his cinematographer sometimes chime in and and share. But I, I still overall enjoyed the commentary, uh, especially Sharon Stone's uh, input. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, this was a, a really breakout role for her. Mm -hmm. What I liked about the film, uh, we can kind of go back and forth on this. After when you when you when I turned it on, like I was automatically like already dialed in. First off, had you seen the film before? Is this your first oh, time? Oh yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. When did I watch this? I've seen it before. Okay. I've only seen it one time. Uh, I can't. Remember. It was it was in the two thousands though. Um, not as a child. <laughs> <laughs> talk about you can talk about when you first saw. It. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, it was it was it had to be. I was in high school. I, I said okay. I was a child, but I, I okay. wasn't. It was like you know, it came out in ninety five. So I I saw it on home video or DVD sometime between ninety six and ninety seven. My dad uh, rented it, but it always. 
it's stuck in my mind. The, the visuals <laughs> and it's stuck in my mind. So yeah, that's when I first saw the film. Uh, what I liked about it is the style is beautiful. Like since we just recently seen Goodfellas and then diving right into Casino, there to me there's just like automatically a contrast uh, between mm. the look of the film. So off top, it's a beautiful looking film. The shots are lit well. Some are even like overly exposed. Starting out, you can you get the feeling, hey, this is a this is a Hollywood film. Um, you can tell that Martin Scorsese he uh, he's establishing like a certain look that is different from Goodfellas. You see like De Niro and his swag in the film. Um, the suits, man. yeah. So you're like, what kind of film is it? Of course, you know, movie starts out, dude blows up, you know, <laughs> in a car. Yeah, that, I mean, you talk about an attention getter. That I mean. As, as, you know, and especially with yeah, the voiceover, and then he's getting the right. car. And you don't, you don't expect anything, and all of a sudden, it's boom! And then mm-hmm. his body, you know, the body yes. tumbling through the flames. And in the commentary, they say it's like him, you know, like falling to hell. Yeah, you know, the imagery. You're like, whoa, what is this? And I'm like, did I connect that? Like, I, I when I looked at, it, I was like, did I connect the hell part? You know, that that's probably more on like a real subconscious level. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so. It's a beautiful film, you know, he blows up, the title sequence showing the Vegas stuff in the background, he's floating in the air with some Bach music, I think that's Bach in the background, yeah, so yeah, but he says Bach. Bach in the, that's playing, but then 16 minutes in, you are, uh, you cut to Pessy stabbing somebody in the neck with a pen, he's like, oh, wait a second, this is a Scorsese film. Yeah, no, yeah, don't no, get it twisted. No, no shying away from the violence. <laughs> right, it, it has returned. Another thing I liked about is that you know nobody's safe in this film. You know, it's uh, the violence. It, it feels real. I catch myself cringing sometimes mm-hmm. with the violence, and I'm not liking the violence like like celebrating it. Just like it just feels like like gutter like there's a gutter to it it just feels real yeah i mean again scorsese doesn't hold back from the, the, the consequences of violent people committing violent actions and the the themes of of greed and kind of a paradise lost um he he, he references that multiple times like these people almost being like you know greek gods almost and they had like everything and they lost it all and just the the excess. They say it's a film of excess. So you know, even with the the violence or the lighting or mm-hmm. the music uh, or the cuts, uh, there is continual excess. And when man, um, Pesci, Joe Pesci, man, in this role as as Nicky, he is he is a monster, a vicious monster. And he and he's the one really that I mean, all the violence, just by the film, <laughs> it's it's him. You know yeah. him and his his crew, his thugs, and it is he's 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 nuts. His yes. character is nuts in this film and kills without remorse. Uh, doesn't mean need much of a reason. Does not care, uh, and you know he lived by the sword and clearly died by the sword. Yes, and the special features. There's a, like I think I think there's like a doc. I'm trying to remember. Was it in the special features a documentary kind of talking about Frankie Left Hand? Is his name Left Frankie Lefty, the guy that Robert De Niro is playing, mm-hmm. and then uh, the guy that um, Pesci is playing, even though his name is Nicky in real life, the guy's name is Tony, and this talking about how they were coming up in the game, and I guess they changed the names for legal reasons. Okay, because they called you know De Niro in the in the movie he's called Sam Ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rothstein, um, and maybe 
his real name was like Frank. Frank Lefty, like Rosenberg or something. That's like it. Okay, that. Rosenberg. That make that makes sense. Because I knew I knew there was a specific change that happened for for the film. And one of the things he's playing, like, he's Jewish, right? The the guy he's playing yeah, is Jewish, new. and of course, you know, the other characters are Italian. Mm-hmm. And that comes up like quite a bit when I was watching it again today. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some of those different references and how Ace was a little bit of an outsider because that he was kind of an exception being made by by the maid, those who were made guys, the mm-hmm. wise guys to, to bring him in um, because of his expertise and his savvy. So, uh, and Pesci makes reference to that, especially towards the end as things are falling apart. Um, if you get a chance to check out the special features and you look at the, the history of these actual characters, you can see where a lot of creative license was taken to make mm-hmm. the actual movie. I think they said inspired by, or is it based on, or, you know, they, it's not like a straight up documentary. So, of course, they're going to take some creative licenses. And what's interesting with that is that, you know, in contrast to to Goodfellas, which, of course, is made from the book Wise Guys, written mm-hmm. by uh, Pelleggi, when you listen to him on the commentary, you know, this was different because he was in the midst of trying to write this book, right. Casino, while the film was being made. And he almost sounds a little bitter I'll be honest yes, he yes, comes across but... a little bit bitter saying how <laughs> once the movie was announced and some of the casting was announced and Scorsese's name was attached to it all of a sudden people that had slammed doors in his face and wouldn't right. return phone calls all of a sudden they're coming out of the woodworks and wanting to tell their side of the story and, and wanting to get documented so he was constantly going back and forth between the script and then in the book but yeah he sounded <laughs> he sounded bitter <laughs> Cooley takes pride in being an author and uh, he respects the craft of, of the movies, mm-hmm. but um, I think believe that his his status as an author <laughs> right. should have been able to open up more doors than it did, especially coming off of Goodfellas. Right, wasn't quite the reality. And and it actually makes sense for the Frankie character, Lefty or Ace, uh, because he wanted to be in the limelight. You know, he wanted to be on TV. He wanted mm-hmm. people to know who he was. So once he found out De Niro was playing, it was like, wait, who? All right, mm-hmm. let's talk about this. Right. Because by this time, everybody's already seen Goodfellas. They want to make sure that they're giving all the actors and actresses little bits of information. Like, hey, this is what actually happened. Yes, and Sharon Stone, she she really, once she got cast in the role, which even her casting was was pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she had said she had, it was like her, kind of her life ambition to be in a Scorsese film and to work with De Niro. Right. And that she just had like two instances where she was, going to go and read for the part and, and meet with Scorsese and both times uh, he wasn't able to make it and after the second time she just thought you know he wasn't interested and so she had left and went to dinner with a friend and she was told a couple times that Scorsese was trying to reach her mm-hmm. and she was like no forget it it's not no that's she didn't she didn't believe it and then he shows up like in a white suit uh, <laughs> and he stays fly like if you see his interviews he's suited and booted he's yeah like, you know, wise guy what is he done he's always looking sharp right yeah. he's always looking sharp but he showed up and and then proceeded to sit down with her mm-hmm. and talk about all the films that she has been in like he has seen her work and she was just floored by that I'm, I'm floored by that like he comes across as a if you know him know him like a pretty sincere dude like mm-hmm. he's somebody, somebody cool to sit and have a, a cup of coffee with right but just hearing that um, and, and then she had her she still had to audition for the role mm-hmm. and one of the things that she loves about Scorsese is that he he allows actresses in particular to, to go all in, but in her audition she held back and didn't. She didn't go she didn't go off on Bobby De Niro 
Mm-hmm. Like, and didn't, it didn't go all the way there. Like, she could, like the character of Ginger requires. And so they contacted her back, contacted her back a couple of maybe, I don't know, weeks later or so, and they asked her how she thought her her audition went. She said she thought it sucked. Yeah. And Scorsese said, "Well, look, I've, if if we have your audition, I need you to go all in." She was like, "Oh, I can do that." And <laughs> and she did. And of course, she got the role, and, and it shows on screen in her performance. Big time, big time. And it makes me think too. You know that this is in the '90s. You know when they're doing this, and you know fast forward twenty some odd years later. Um, now that women are being more empowered, she, mm-hmm. to me, that kind of shows that she knows how to play the game. Like, of course, the men were kind of like running a show at the time and making a man look better than you was more political. So kind of to mm-hmm. me, it kind of came off like, OK, she she was kind of playing the game, but they didn't want her to play the game. They want her just to be a great actress. Yes. Scorsese's uh, just between these two films, like he seems you know, interested, you know, in just, you know, truthful Performances, and he, he wants them raw. He wants them real. In his mind, he knows how he wants to to cut cut right. these things as well. But kudos to him, man. Kudos to him in just being a great director. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what can I say? The dude is he's 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 he's, he's incredible. Um, and and this this film, I it's always stuck with me from the first time I saw it. It has always stuck with me. Seeing it in high school and revisiting it, it's like. Oh yeah, that's that's why this thing is so great. There's some things I don't know about you, but some things like, well, something is like just really really good. Sometimes I don't want to see it too often. Like really, yeah. Uh, there are things that I like and can spam and watch a lot. <laughs> there are certain things when I see it, I'm like, okay, that was amazing, and I just want to let it breathe. And I I, I don't want to see it too many times. I want really. To, yeah. What just, are some I other films that fall into dark. that that kind of category? I'm the opposite. I will watch the heck out of a movie like Matrix. I've probably seen it like when it came out thirty times. Uh, Pulp Fiction murdered it. Oh, like yeah. I, oh man, I I could do Pulp Fiction all the time. Yeah, but there, I don't. Know, there's just certain films like again, this maybe this is like one of those things. Like it's more like a work of art, and you just kind of like, okay, I'll just come visit it every once. Yeah, in a while. like yeah, I'll, I can come and, and, and revisit it. Uh, yeah, even now that I own again, even with Goodfellas, and I bought it a couple years ago, watched it once, um, but it's something that I, I wouldn't want to watch all the time. I, I, but some people I know there are many people who could probably quote the movie, right? You know, verbatim. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I don't know. Maybe this is a Scorsese thing. I need to see some more of his films. I've seen Ray, like Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched Raging Bull, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." But I, I it's something I, I would only want to, to revisit, every, you know, maybe a couple of years. Um, the style feels a little bit older, just where he can sit with a composition and let it kind of breathe a little bit. I'm, I like some of his newer stuff, like the um, Wolf, of Wall, Wolf Street, of Wall Street, where that's a little bit more fast. This is, you know, fast paced, but it's a longer movie. It is. They say two hours and fifty nine minutes. It's three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Just say three hours. Just say it. Just say it. So nine ninety nine, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a three hour movie. So I mean, it it could be brutal. Some of the stuff like Wolf of Wall Street, like that feels like more pop. It doesn't feel as much as like art, like this does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it has a rewatchability where you can probably watch it over and over again, like with friends or people that haven't seen it before. But this one, I probably agree with you on this one. We watch this every once a year, or once every two years, or something. Yeah, and who knows? You know, I I consider myself someone who is okay with violence, but you know, may, maybe it is partially the the violence. I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm having to kind of stop and reflect and, and, and think about it. But but yeah, the rawness of the performances. I mean, yeah, like Sharon Stone, man. Um, 
and and, and, and Pesci. De Niro is De Niro. He, he's always he's always mm-hmm. doing his thing. The but violence yeah. is brutal. Seeing um, there's a scene in the movie where they're putting a the guy's head in a vice grip. Yeah, or is that what it was called? The vice, vice grip. Yes, sir. His whole head in there. So in the real story. Uh, when they do this, the guy's eye popped out of his head. The guy, Tony, the guy that Joe Pesci is playing. Makes sense. They squeeze it, and his eye popped out of his head. You know, they're bragging about the torturing this guy for over two days and finally mm-hmm. him doing this. Um, but, and so I went back to the scene and, like, paused it. And you can see his left eye. Bulging. Like, yeah, you can see it bulging and, like, start filling up with blood. And, like, oh, and they cut it, you know. You can tell parts they probably cut for MPBA, MPAA or whatever, or it might just been too much. Well, they mentioned in the commentary with that mm-hmm. particular scene when Scorsese was shooting it that they'd had a prosthetic head and all that, and they knew the right. story about the eye popping out. And so as it was going, I think he said it, it began to kind of go too long. And he was spending, he found himself spending too much time on the prosthetics of right. of the prosthetics and again also the aesthetics of the, of the scene when he realized that okay you know what it's not so much about the about the the gore what happens to the the guy being tortured but it's more so about Nikki performing the violence mm-hmm. and so I guess you know he cut it in a way where it's still focused on, on, on him looking down on the guy you know just Kirk's the guy what you gotta protect this piece of you know and he's just, <laughs> he's just going in on the guy and you know, he's verbally berating him too and just you know F you and just, you know, cranking that thing. Oh, and, and it's, but it's still effective. You're still like, you know, sometimes when you kind of like the Hitchcock thing where you kind of cut away and let the imagination. And then the reaction from the other guy, like they cut away and the camera's looking up at the, the guy and he's like kind of cringing and the blood's like squirting and mm. he's like cringing a little bit. He's like, oh man. Yeah. If it's bad for cold, if a cold blooded killer is looking at it and be like, this is terrible. It's messed up, man. <laughs> you know, you've gone too far. Yes. Um, and then I also like how, um, I don't know if there was Scorsese that said this or Pelleggi basically saying, man, talking about motivation of the scene. So Pesci's character is like, man, don't make me, don't let me, don't make me do this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He was just talking about like, kind of like mindset of characters and like, I guess it's like kind of like a motivation. So it was like, man, please, you know, don't let me do this. We've been doing this for so long. Don't make me do this. This is the mindset of this character. He's going to do it. Yes, and in you mean like in terms of him like 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 Nikki mm-hmm. saying to the guy, look, like I try almost like try to play like the, the good guy, like right. look, you know, I don't want to do this to you. Don't don't make me do this. Don't don't make me do this to you. You know, but basically he's saying he's go- he's doing it. He's going to do it mm-hmm. regardless. But you know, we can just basically we can kill you sooner versus later, <laughs> right? Give you a, a, that that sweet release of death after. I mean, gosh, two days of torture. Uh, say, you know, the toughest Irishman he had, he had ever met. So, what's your favorite scene? Favorite versus like scene that stood out the most. Um, scene that stood out to me the most that always again is always at the end with mm-hmm. those with those bats when they when they because yeah. okay, part of it is poetic and, and just like you know Nikki he has to die a violent death right you know he's yeah you know, murdered so many people and he's just a jerk. And just, I mean, part of the reason why it all crumbles is him <laughs> muscling in on everything like a, yeah. a bull in a china shop. Um, but even then, like, you know, just, you know, in being a human, and you see that kind of suffering. When you see somebody's brother and have, making him watch his brother get, you know, beat down and, and destroyed yeah. by these aluminum bats. And then, you know, even seeing him take the, the hits at the end oh, from yeah. from men who are in his crew. Yeah. It's just like, oh, wow. Um that's the scene that always stands out to me the most as far as my favorite scene oh yeah okay it's 
my favorite scene is when a guy gets hit, shocked with a cattle prod, <laughs> and then they take him to. The, it's just, I think it's the same thing. They take him back, right. and then you know he's asked some questions about you know which hand he you know he uses, and then like you know they end up like just smashing the other hand with the, with, with a hammer, and they get the other guy to come in, and they they, they make the they make the example. And right. It's, it's so extreme, but it's uh, effective. It's very effective. How about you? They mentioned in there like that was kind of toned down from what actually happens. So toned down, basically. There's in the room. There was like a wall, and there's blood like all over the wall. That's right. You remember that? Yeah, they would throw people out like in Sydney. Oh, they got hit by a car. You know, somebody got hit by a car. But they had a real wall in Vegas, just like where people went to take care of people. Oh man, yikes! Unbelievable. So I don't. (laughs) I don't want to say this is like my favorite scene, but it makes me laugh, and it's the. uh, (laughs) It's bad. It's the scene where Nikki, Nikki's character, Nikki, he's being, he's being sued. Yeah, he's being sued by this old woman. Is it him or De Niro's character that's being sued by this old woman? And then so uh, Nikki was like, they didn't like all the mob bosses don't like uh, all this heat coming from the legality, so they sent me out to take care of it. Always oh, <laughs> so goes around. Said, so as soon as he says this, he like walks around. It just cuts to him walking around the corner, and then he just shoots her in the head. But his walk is she's, just hilarious. She's in her home, right? Yes. He's like, <laughs> he like grabs her head, shoots her in the head, and then like rests her to the side. Uh, but if you see the scene when you cut to it, it's just like he just walks right on beat, and it's just his walk <laughs> is hilarious. It's a man on a mission, right there. Yes, I don't know why that's that makes me laugh every time because I freak because like just the timing, the rhythm of it is like comedic in a way. The voiceovers are funny, and then that action going along with the voiceovers, it's it had me dying. So, speaking of the voiceovers, man, I really enjoy the voiceovers in this film, especially at the at the beginning because it's a lot of exposition to start mm-hmm. off with, but it really does help set the scene uh, and the theme. Um, of the film and bring you up to speed, okay, on what's mm. going on, so you can kind of just go. Even though it's a three-hour film, the setup's real nice. The setup is really, really nice. So, uh, yeah, and I, I enjoy that it's 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 both De Niro and Pesci uh, right doing the doing the VO, like those two perspectives that would ultimately collide. So here are some notes for filmmakers out there that are interested in taking some some notes from this commentary, so you don't have to watch three hours of footage. Here are uh, some tips, 13 tips um, that you can take away with you. Uh, number one, keep the camera moving. The thing that uh, kept this in- kept the movie interesting is that it has a it has a, like you were saying it has a lot of information to tell the audience. Because it has that, that could be boring at times. So a way to keep things interesting is you know keep the camera moving. Even though this is a long movie, if you keep things going like that, you won't really notice that it, the movie is that long. Some of the examples is like during the exposition, like you were saying, when he's explaining how the pit bosses and everybody's watching each other to make sure nobody's stealing money, the camera is doing like this swish pan, like to the left or to the right or upwards, and it cuts to somebody monitoring somebody else. Yes. And that that's like visual eye candy. And what's Scorsese's, Scorsese's background in editing you know, he has an idea how things are going to cut together, and even the editor herself, she said that when when she got the footage from 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 um, those scenes, um, that it was it just all just it was so easy to edit that it was just it was made to just cut together real quick. But yeah, that camera movement it moves so fast, and it and it and it's still like just perfect still. So I wonder if there's a camera now that's called the Bolt. It's a robotic arm. 
that can give you these quick, fast uh, motions of the camera. Um, an example of this is in uh, Kendrick Lamar's music video, uh, the Be Humble music uh, video, where they show the, well, they don't show the robotic arm, but there's a scene where the robotic arm is being used. Uh, but of course, at that time, they didn't have that technology, but they probably had a different kind of robot arm, or I wonder if they were... They did the scene, they, they shot the scene of like De Niro looking at the monitor, mm -hmm. and then they shoot it and then they swish quickly to the left. So re shoot reverse. Exactly. That would, make, that would make even more sense because you already have an in frame mm -hmm. in this room. Okay, you cut away and then you got the next one and you just kind of just, I don't yeah. Know. I don't know. That would, that would have made more sense to go away and then you play it in. I said, oh, now I'm have to watch the scene <laughs> right? to, to see what like, their reactions are. Because you have it said, I don't know. So I thought about that. I was like, okay, how would I do this if I was directing this thing? How do you get this effect? Because it's not easy to do, especially if you're going from one shot to another. And I know with the switch pan, they're cut into a different frame. So you, it's not like they're moving across the room and then putting it in focus. Sure. So anyhow, I wish that he would put some more... Um, some more input on the technical Give us the side. goods, Marty. Give us the goods, Marty. Give us the goods. But of course, these days, you can do that pan now. You can do that digitally real easy. Tip number two, screenings are important. At first, they didn't have uh, voiceovers that were explaining what was happening. But after a few screenings, they discovered that the voiceover would tell uh, the audience more about what was going on. And filmmakers are usually there taught to like stay away from voiceovers. I know I have on a lot of things I've read is like because sometimes you can tend to use it as a crutch. Sure. voiceovers and flashback sequences like that's the first thing everybody goes to let's do a flashback sequence <laughs> that's like the first thing that everybody says flashback or do a voiceover to do that um but i like this has like a more of like a docufilm to it so they are explaining what's going on i think it helped out and then there's like a lot of personality in the actual voiceovers it's kind of hilarious it is it, it it really is and and even when it i'm not saying it like contradicts certain scenes but even at the, at, the, at the very beginning you know when he's talking about you know you got to be able to to trust people and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then he gets in his car, turns on, and boom, it you know, right. it explodes. But even again, in you know, Pesci talking about you know how how he feels, it's like you know this like this inner monologue going on to the inner workings of the brains uh, as the action is taking place. You know how how Nikki's character felt about you know the the mob and the guys he's working for, and just and just explaining everybody's role and in, in really setting up how this whole things work, how how money was being taken from the Teamsters pension fund mm -hmm. and then that being used to legitimize and fund the casinos and like oh wow you know but the fact <laughs> that they got that out up front like okay uh, but yeah the the commentary uh, the VO really really does work and normally you, you get that feeling from like novels and things like that where you hear the inner dialogue of a character so it's interesting to see it in a, like a, a film format point number three Casting and working with actors can set you apart. And I know Sharon Stone, she talked about how, like, just how Martin is real good at working with actors and actresses. And they really enjoy working with him. So for filmmakers out there, um, learn a craft. Learn to work, you know, work with your actors. I know there's there's filmmakers that are, like, more technical and don't necessarily know how to communicate with the actors, but they're great technicians. Mm -hmm. uh, but you definitely got to learn how to be a team player and communicate and try to, and get the best performances from, from your actors. I think it's fascinating with different directors, like when we – just how how they approach directing or, or how much input they'll, they'll have. You know, when we, when we examine Ridley Scott – 
you know, sometimes there'll be some you know rehearsal and have them practice, but you know he'll just kind of just you know give a, a little bit here and there to his actors. And it seems like Scorsese is kind of there as well. But really, it, it was interesting with, with Sharon Stone. It, clearly, she's very method. Because mm-hmm. she, she like lost herself in this role. Yeah. Especially towards the end. Yeah. She was almost like manic and uh, especially leading into the, 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 the death scene at, at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear her talk about how she prepared for that and she knew it was coming and how she felt like she was coming out of her body and, and kind of off her off of her feet and all this and they shot it a couple of times but um, she would in some scenes she would say you know Marty will you be close by so I can physically touch you you know to kind of help her stay grounded like to hear how she invested herself in this role um, it, yeah the more and more I listen to actors talk about their preparation and you, and you you hear comments about you know you know especially when it's when it's um biographical in nature or based on real people sometimes especially people that have passed away sometimes you hear them talk mm-hmm. about you know like channeling people and right uh, man yeah stuff is dangerous man but you hear about it you know yeah. and, and then you hear people talking about having to carry those characters with them for a while or it takes a while for them to come out of that and that's always interesting that they they really invest themselves that much into characters and you know Sharon even said that after this role she kind of got a little depressed like okay well what's Next, I mean, she gave <laughs> right. her, her everything, and honestly, I don't know that she had another film after this where she had this same kind of recognition. I mean, uh, I know she did another Basic Instinct movie after this, but I'm trying to think of no another film where she was just as highly lauded and praised for her performances. She, I think she actually stepped away from the business for a little while. After so this she had this came out in '96. She had. A few more films that came out in 96, which means, you know, she probably didn't shoot them in 96, but they came out in 96. Uh, but you see a gap. There's a year where she has no films, and I believe that was in 97, and then she picks back up in 98. So mm. that might have been a break she was talking about. So she's, and, and you know, once you win a championship, I think a lot of people get depressed once you've, you've done all you can do. It's like... The mountaintop. Yeah. It's like you're there, so what do you do? It's only like lateral movements now. It's, right. Will Smith... Uh, was at that place for a while I and mean, he had to find a way to fall in love with acting again and just kind mm-hmm. of be becoming a more maybe generous or, or, or giving out. He had to find something that kind of allowed him to continue to want to and enjoy the craft. But, but yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you go? You work, you've just worked with Pesci, De Niro, Scorsese. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. And he is a kind of director that allows you to, be an actor and play and just play out your scenes even though he's not going to probably use those things that you're doing just having fun playing make-believe like there's not too many people that do that so that probably was depressing you know you went you did the championship and it was a good movie yeah and you gave you gave you gave everything yeah you I mean you gave your your all which which she did um yeah, uh, that that will be interesting. Sometimes people say, you know, be careful what you wish for. Right. Uh, what happens? What happens when you get your your greatest desire? Uh, and it really, that's interesting. It kind of ties into the theme of the, of the film itself. You know, the themes yeah. of, of, of greed and getting, well, getting everything, and then you know, how how much is enough, and, and is is it ever enough? And we Never. have it. Can it's we not. can we ever keep it? Can nope. we be satisfied with it? Nope. That's yeah. the thing. It's fleeting. Talking about losing yourself. I'm thinking about characters like, you know, like Heath Ledger and um, 
There's a good, you know, yeah, playing the Joker and mm-hmm. with, uh, Jack Nicholson. I told him not to play that role. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, they have a creepy guy man. say that. You know, Jack, I told him, I warned him. Like, after he dies, that's Tried what he says. warned him. Didn't work. Unbelievable. And then uh, there's, a, there's a podcast, uh, Torrey. Uh, Torrey's the guy that interviewed R. Kelly uh, on BT during the time when R. Kelly was uh, the whole child scandal and thing. Oh, you know, Tori. Yeah, the peeing situation. Great. That's a, <laughs> so, oh, uh, in his face, <laughs> the the famous question was, um, "What was it? Do you like underage girls?" Yikes! <laughs> like straight up ass. Yeah, he's straight up ass. Oh boy. Uh, okay. Uh, when you say uh, on. Uh, underage, uh, what exactly do you mean? When you say teenager, what do you mean? What exactly do you mean? We're going to get philosophical now. Right. That's, what, that's what R. Kelly really? said. That's and Tori, his face like dropped and he was like, uh, girls that are teenagers. And like that was like, anyhow, so that looked that up on YouTube. But anyhow, Tori has a podcast and he had uh, mm-hmm. Taraji uh, Henson. Am I saying her name right? Taraji P. Taraji P. And she went into depth on how she gets into character the different nuances of actors and how they do their thing, like her background in, in theater when she was at Howard University and how she prepares and why she is, you know, now like one of the top actors. And, she, you know, you can tell when people have put their time into the craft. Mm-hmm. Listen to Sharon Stone in this talking about how she's like a research junkie yeah. and how she like, like anything that she can get to to become this character is very important uh, Especially to actors that are serious, really serious and professionals about their craft, they're prepared. Absolutely, and she mentioned that people were coming out of the woodwork. You know, some people will say, "Look, this conversation never happened." And they wow. Give, they give her a tidbit, and then they they go away. No, uh, wow. But people had their all these different things, and she was able to kind of take and pull and and you know and play. Tip number four: Talk with people to get the language of the characters. Pelleggi, uh he mentions how. He would do record, you know, record people, record their conversations and listen to hours of this dialogue to really understand how a person talks. Because it's one thing just to write it, to think, you know, to, he said, no matter how much, how many drugs you take or whatever, you never be able to to mimic like how someone talks that's really from that section. Sure. And by having these actual hours of dialogue, it was possible. And he, he talked about uh, like the Henry Hill character. I remember we talked about that last time, how... Um, What's our guy from Goodfellas, the main guy, Ray, Le- Ray Liotta? Ray Liotta, um, Ray Liotta didn't get to talk directly to Henry Hill, but Ray was able to listen to a bunch of uh, cassette tapes of um, recordings of Henry. Oh. And so he was able to kind of get his voice down, his laughs and all that stuff. But when you're able to talk to a person directly that's been in that lifestyle or uh, from whatever region they're from and getting those nuances, then you find that then you can write the character and flesh them out a lot more versus just trying to predict like this is how a mobster would sound this is what a mobster would do it, make, it makes all the difference uh, in the world when you have people who've come come from the culture mm-hmm. come from that, that background who have lived the life and they they will say things that come organically uh, not necessarily by some kind of book or guideline it's like I remember when in high school when I was learning Spanish you know, and you learn the vocabulary, and you learn the grammar, and you and you learn the, the predicate, and all those kinds of things. But then, when I when I started hanging around an environment where I was I was I was surrounded by um, predominantly Hispanic and Spanish speaking people, and being submersed in that, then you begin to pick up the nuances of the language that you don't get mm-hmm. in class. You 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 
hear the phrases and the context of when they should be used. And that's where you that's where you really do find voices there. You know, there are people that I've met through the years where I, I can still hear their voice in my head, the nuances <laughs> of how they speak that I, I wouldn't get just from a, a class. And, right. And that's that's those are some of the, the best teachers. Uh, like you said, um, getting that dialogue is better than any film school you can go to. And it has a real a realism that makes a difference. And uh, when I see other films, I think that's what makes Casino and Goodfellas stand apart from other quote unquote gangster films is because they spent so much time in the research and talking to people. And these things really happen that uh, when you look at some of these other films and they may not be showing some of that violence in the way that you're experiencing with these characters, it comes off as more like an action film but, or just kind of like a throwaway uh, kind of throwaway scene just to have violence just for the sake of having violence is probably why they don't really hold up against like Martin Scorsese's gangster film that's fascinating I think that also at times in some of these different films I think even between Goodfellas and Casino that they'll they'll bring in real people who aren't actors mm. uh, who yeah. in this film they had a couple of those and they later then were able to land roles <laughs> and, and become actors just because of their, their work as extras or in the backdrop because they had the look of the feel, maybe even the sound, maybe even for one line. And um, yeah, so it opened up doors. And so there's different levels levels of authenticity. Tip number five, having a vision makes editing easier. And Thelma Shoemaker, Schumacher, uh, she was an editor in the film, and she kind of talks about how Marge Scorsese has a stru- his structure down, and he always uh, he visualizes the scene, and it helps her out as an editor, you know, getting that information. And we talked about it earlier how... You know, those little swish pans of people monitoring each other, how he already had that in his brain on how he wanted uh, that to work out. And so that helped her out versus him just like, I don't know, just I wanted not necessarily knowing how he wanted to approach and just kind of handing it off to her. She also talks about how he doesn't like in terms of in terms of structure. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like the word acts like you people also say, oh, this movie has a three act structure oh yeah uh, or maybe a four-act structure like he doesn't like that kind of terminology in, in terms of his storytelling um but also she mentioned that this was this was her first time working with uh digital editing she had an, an assistant editor who who taught her um I, I, think, I think maybe his name was maybe aaron um but he helped teach her how to do digital editing for the first time mm, yeah. which then opened up uh, the number of, of tracks they could work with from a, from a sound standpoint and mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah it really was quite useful to her and she was she she and she enjoyed it so but yeah this was her first foray into that with the axe it's funny that he doesn't like using that but there are parts uh, in the film that I can think of that you can call it whatever you want but it or call it turning point or whatever but it is like okay we're going into a new direction. Sure. And one of those scenes was when the, you know, when he's trying to, when this Western guy is trying to convince uh, Robert De Niro's character to not fire the guy, uh, the moron. His son, his, um, was not son, brother-in-law. brother-in-law, yeah. Not to fire his brother-in-law, and then De Niro's not having it. He's too incompetent. He's <laughs> too incompetent. I can't trust him. And um, and you feel, you as, as an audience, you feel like, okay, this is not going to be good. Mm-hmm. You're like, like I, come on, man, just uh, you know, <laughs> come on, just 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 give him, just let him be a valet or something, right? But, but now he he stood on, it and you can tell this is a turn. This is going to be a turning point in the story. This decision turns the story. This will come back to haunt the the main character. Well, even when he when he meets Ginger, yes, you almost 
I'm see you know know it's gonna end badly, but but yeah, when when mm-hmm. when he proposes to her and he talks, you know, like a, like a business transaction, like we're let's have a an arrangement. It's like mm, that's it's probably not gonna work out. You know? Probably not. Probably not. And it based like an arrangement, and they talk about like you know people that have arrangements. That's still you can still kind of work with that. You know, kind of, and it kind of worked for a while until <laughs> it didn't. Especially when she had—I mean, she especially once you see James Woods' character, right? And you see that connection, and when when they first rough him up, and you see her reaction, yeah, you're like, oh no, that's she loves that guy. She, if better or for worse, right? That's the dude that she loves, and her visceral reaction to him getting beat up—it's like, oh, this is this is not healthy. This is not this is not going to be good. This is not right. going to, man. They had a dysfunctional relationship, man. <laughs> All the way around. I love Triangle was so dysfunctional, man. It was a mess. So that scene, and then just like for his career, you know, of course, you know, she had her $2 million payoff. Things would have been fine. You know, the deal didn't work out. So her payoff is here. Here's a $2 million. Let's Okay, we're going off about our lives or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's not allowed to continue his thing because of the whole casino. Uh, but another another part was when uh, Pesci's character Nikki, he kind of realizes like he messed up, you know. When oh, he, when he started sleeping with her, yeah, and he actually says it, yes, at the end when yeah. she comes through and it's, it's hysterical and it's yeah. kind of to him he's like I messed up bad badly, you know this is not good. For him to be at a point to say that because he's unapologetic through the right. whole film, exactly, he is a buzzsaw. <laughs> cutting through the whole freaking film and when he says that you're like oh this is bad <laughs> this and I think it bad. needs to be said and I think it was important for the audience to know that because you know people see people cheating and doing all the stuff in movies all the time so it was like ah, it's almost expected mm-hmm. but because of the rules and the code that that life they live by it, this is a very very bad thing that he's done you know the 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 morality, <laughs> if you can call it that, the I'll, I'll call it I'll call it the the sense of morality mm-hmm. of the of these people is just mind boggling. Especially you know once you watch Goodfellas one week and then <laughs> Casino the next, you're like, who are these people? These unrelenting, remorseless killers, murderers. But yet this guy, regardless of of, of you know whether he tortured a guy until his eye popped out or stabbed a guy to death with a pen yet still every morning would get up and make breakfast for his kid like you talk about compartmentalizing things like how you know like you 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 literally bury the memory i guess in your brain just like you would bury a body in the nevada desert you know because you're just literally just switching gears and just right. eh, okay now I'm making breakfast for my kid and you know we're, we're making sure that we let's say we don't use a lot of uh butter because the cholesterol is bad for you really (laughs) you're shaking down people for all this money and killing them and you're you're but you're but you're a good parent making sure your kid doesn't have high cholesterol in the future they do have a code because to and it's not not for anything that's moral it's just because it's bad for business Mm -hmm. that's the code that's exactly don't screw this up and he did they screw the whole thing up. Like this thing could have been going. It would be to this day they'll still be running it. So who's who is more to blame? When you boil it all down, 
Who is more to blame for this thing crumbling? Is it Ace or is it Nikki? Mm. Nikki, because he just throws a gas on everything. Mm. Um, some of the bad decisions that, um, which are very few, that um, the Ace makes, it's um, they probably could have didn't been dealt with. But you know, when you have Nikki coming in threatening the person that's supposed to be helping you with the, <laughs> getting your license true, and, true. and shaking down people while you're trying to like be out away from the scene, and then when he was in. So the reporter came in, right? She's like, so who really runs the show? Like, why is the reporter there in the first place? Because of some of the heat that Nikki brought. Right. So. And, 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 and Ace talks with him about about that. And he gets upset about it. Like, wait, tell me what to do now? And Right. Yeah, yeah. So because of the heat that he's bringing, he, and it kind of exposes Ace's character. You know, he wants notoriety. He wants people to know that he's the man in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants some of that limelight, just like anybody does. It kind of exposes that flaw in him. Um, when you know he's in you know front of this news reporter or you know other things or when he wants to uh, when he's telling this Western guy like hey I'm I'm the man in charge when he's fired you know sure it kind of exposes him a little bit more I wonder I wonder though if if Ace had been able to maintain more control more focus if he would have not been able to control Nikki because I don't think he's a control element but maybe direct him in a more in a different kind of way and or not has been distracted with 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 ginger and and been able to take care of the business better and maybe it maybe also attract less attention from the feds because once he got involved with ginger i mean things she started doing towards the end when she started spending that that drew attention that um was just another part a part of his downfall maybe he would have had maybe more influence to to keep things going and because again at the end of the day i mean nikki could have been eliminated i mean could have he was a made man though yeah, that's true. He came in as a made that's like, man. That's, that's part of that code. Yeah that's, yeah, that's so big. He came in already made, whereas sure. in Goodfellas, he was hoping to be a made man. But in this film, as a different character, mm-hmm. he was already that guy. He was a made man. You're not changing his mentality. He's coming from Chicago and coming into this town. He's like, oh, these guys are suckers. Like, I'm going to take right. everything. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, what are you going to do? You know, he, he's the muscle. He is right. the muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. And again, he 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 throws it in Ace's face the fact that again his Jewish heritage and the fact that he's not Italian and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess so. I guess Nikki is the biggest one to blame for this thing crumbling down at the ground. Right, they had it all, lost it all. <laughs> well, just about. I mean, Ace still made up with some. Yeah, he um, he still works right, and mm-hmm. you know he's doing still his hustling. thing. Yeah, he's still he's, he's all right. He made it out. Skull intact. Not not crushed by an aluminum baseball bat. Uh, point number six. Know how to navigate legally uh, when bringing a film that deals with actual people. So when you're dealing with public figures, if a person is convicted of a crime, you can use their name, but the people that they're related to, like their wives and their children, those names have to be changed. And that might be a reason why uh, Nikki's name was Nikki instead of Tony and Ace's name was Ace instead of uh, Frank. Frank. That's just for legal reasons. So whenever you're dealing with um, real life stories, whether it's a book based on a real life person or just like a story in the newspaper that you want to turn into a, a film, just kind of get abreast and know legally what you can and cannot do point number seven there's a power in celebrity and we talked about it earlier like many people were not like forthcoming mm-hmm. with information until they realized that you know Pacino, uh, not Pacino but Robert De Niro uh, was going to be part of the film and once that happened Frankie was like hey let's talk oh yeah what you, what you need I'm all is 
But that's just, you know, them coming off of Goodfellas, which is such a, a hit that um, you, you bring up Scorsese's name or De Niro's name or Pesci's name, talking like Instant Cloud. And again, Sharon Stone was hot, you know, from uh, Basic Instinct. I think she had maybe done Sliver uh, maybe at that point as well. But she had had, you know, again, some films she had done uh, as well. She was a known name at the mm-hmm. time in the, in the 90s. She was, you know, it's kind of like her peak, really. I mean, she was hot in the 90s. Yeah, you drop those names in. That's that power. Like I said, the power of celebrity. It allowed uh, Pelegi to be able to write the book. Because these conversations, because I guess the book was kind of like a standstill, basically, but because these conversations started, like you were saying, it allowed the book to be finished. Point number eight, um, clothes tell a story. Mm-hmm. And clothes can be broken down by region, and this can help actors stay in character. And an example of that is like Sharon Stone when she would take breaks from being on set and she would go to her trailer she would have wardrobe that was still in the style of her character so like when she's in not just in the jogging suit but maybe she's like in a robe or she's relaxing it's still in the 80s style of her character where she can kind of live in the character you know when you put on the clothing you, you you can rehearse and practice but it's something about when you actually put on the clothing that is for that character or for that time it can have such an impact on your mindset and that that's pretty amazing that they had that for her. I mean, that's that's detail right there. Mm-hmm. That is detail. And, and she she still had like a a Gucci jacket or something like that from the from from the set <laughs> from that time of shooting that she still has now. And the uh, the costume designers, uh, there's two of them that are giving credit on IMDb. One is uh, John Dunn, but Rita uh, Ryak. And she's actually on the commentary and 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 talks about. Just the, the level of detail they went in. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, making sure that those details are accurate and, 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 and appropriate for the time period that existed and, and the mm-hmm. people who are making the right kind of income to wear a certain kind of clothing. Even when you see, again, Ace's character, man, <laughs> those suits. They said he may have like, like about like 80 different suits that's awesome. detail. But that's that's showing the, the life of somebody, mm-hmm. you know, that and you don't wear the same thing every day. And when you make that kind of money, you don't probably wear the same thing within a month. You're just constantly switching out and buying new with all the money that was changing hands. But, uh, yeah, this, he had some, some wild suits. So the clothes telling the story. So with Ace's character, you see, like, the shades that he would use or the pinks, that he would, the cream colors that he would wear. And Best his days. tie was, like, always perfect. It was perfect with the little dimple in the tie like it was just his character in my opinion it it shows the ocd nature of his character how everything has to be perfect if it's out of order mm-hmm. something ain't right and that's part of the reason why he wouldn't budge with certain things and oh, yeah. or he would wear his underwear at his desk and then somebody comes up like let me get the let me he get my pants, my pants out. down and <laughs> put them on now he like he is very very particular, which allowed him to be successful in in betting because he looked at it from an analytical standpoint. And in order to do that and to be focused, you had to have that OCD nature. Whereas uh, Sharon Stone character, uh, when she first started out, she has these coats, these big coats, and her she has these shoulder pads on, and a character kind of showing you know her power and her swag. But then as time goes on. Like those go away, the pads go away. She's mm. kind of more inward, you know. She wants to show that she's a woman, you know. She has, you know, her breasts lifted up and all kinds of things. You can, you know, the clothes are, you know, kind of telling more of, about these people. I think it's also this, again the same way when we watch Goodfellas. It's the clothes definitely help and enhance the character and, and say 
quite a bit about them, where they're from, where they're going, the progression, mm-hmm. especially when you see somebody go from, you know, not so nice to nicer things. I mean, for the most part, Ace was, you know, nice, mm-hmm. just, you know, just sharp the, the whole time. But, um, yeah, we do see a transition with Sharon's character. She, they said that they, they had her wearing a lot of leather uh, in the film because it's obviously a material made from animals. And they said she's kind of like an animal in the film. Like, she, she can't be caged. She's like a wild animal. She can't be caged or held in. She's fiercely independent. She had to walk down, like, this weird, like, just what? <laughs> <laughs> but at times, she is visceral, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, there. This room where I could see that fighting. when she cut her hair and then she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, she was like a little lioness. Yeah, and and just raw. She's very raw, you know, whatever she's feeling. And, and yeah, so they, they use a lot of leather to kind of portray portray that. Point number nine, let your actors play. Give your actors room to explore the characters, to play, to bounce off each other. There are scenes where, uh, like Robert De Niro and Pesci, they're just improving, And sometimes... You will see that um, Scorsese isn't necessarily cutting when he's supposed to be cutting. Or he'll let it go longer than it's supposed to and he'll just do a dissolve. I saw that a couple of times where it'll be a jump cut or it'll just dissolve within the same frame. Mm. And I'm trying to, it's like, is this a mistake? Or are they cutting for time? Like, I want to know why there's a like a small dissolve in some of these frames. I don't know. They could have been cut down for time. I have no idea, but I did notice some of those things, which could be viewed as a mistake. You know, he allows, you know, the act, and, and the, um, the editor said that Scorsese likes to cut on emotion versus the end of the scene. I like that. You know, sometimes early on for um, new actors, was there gaining experience? I've seen it happen sometimes where they'll be on the set and they'll... They'll be in a scene and they'll finish their lines mm-hmm. and they think they're done because they finished their lines. No, you don't stop act. You don't stop acting right. until a director says cut. Yeah. So even if you finish your lines, you stay in character mm-hmm. and you may ad lib. You may, you know, stay on a, on a glance or whatever. You may do a different gesture with your body that's appropriate to the truth of that character in that scene. But you don't stop acting until the director says cut. Plain and simple. And there's some some young actors don't don't get that you you you're not the director. Uh, well, you maybe maybe you're playing dual roles, but if right. you're not if you are officially not the director, then your job is to continue to act and react until you hear the words, cut. So stay in character. Point number ten: show tension between characters visually in order to illustrate an arc in the story. So there was a part in the story where we see the tension between Robert De Niro and Sharon Stone and their character where their life is falling apart. Now, how do you show this visually? So she's drunk. It's early in the morning. She's already drunk. Mm. She's stumbling around looking for another drink. There's a guest over. Yes. He's uh, De Niro's in this like pink wardrobe. Like I know exactly what you know what I'm talking about. about. Yeah, yeah. And he's like trying to grab her to like, hey, let's get. You know, we have company. You know, like, and she's like trying to pull away, but she can't. <laughs> yes. The the writer Pelleggi. Mm-hmm. Um, Really loves that scene. I think yeah. I think that's his favorite scene in the whole film. Right. He says, "Just watch, watch Sharon Stone and watch her her reaction to just trying to pull away from, you know, De Niro grabbing her arm, and she's constantly just struggling and ah, you know, trying to pull away, like ah, don't touch me, and I can handle, I can do it myself, and uh, she's just a hot mess." But yeah, their their world is is crumbling, and yeah, there's trouble in paradise. There's trouble in paradise. Then she's going down the stairs and then she like misses a step and like just like the as an actor just to give that little extra 
you know, she misses a step and we see it. You know, we see her missing a step and she's mm-hmm. almost fall. That's a great actor, actress that, you know, they do these certain things. De Niro and his character, like, he's allowing this stuff to happen, but he's like, everything's still okay, you know. <laughs> Saving face, right? Yes. <laughs> trying, to, trying to maintain a, a monicum of control. Right. You know, they, or at least give the appearance of control. Even the scene at, at towards the end when when she comes in and is ramming the back of his car. Right. And she wants to come in the house and, and he won't let her. And then the police show up and they're talking about the disturbance. She said that when she, she felt such power when she was able to take the car and ram it into oh, the man. back of the other one. And then she said that extra, that extra step, or what she thought was true for the character, would be to get out of the car and fall down. You know, it's just <laughs> such a rage, and, and, but also just, you know, high perfect. probably. It's perfect. And just getting out and hitting the ground and getting up. And then starting to pull up the, the, the flowers. And then at the same time, De Niro's character, it's like, you know, his facial expression is like, like what, like, what are you doing? Like, just trying to remain calm. Even tell the officers, look, I know I'll, I'll let her inside. If you'll accompany her, and when she's done, right. you escort her out. Like, right. Just, just continually trying to be the cooler head. And you know, the the, the one time, which I, I thought was, uh, and thinking about now, I thought was pretty brilliant. The one time you see him really kind of begin to lose is when they're in Nikki's restaurant, mm-hmm. and it's he goes to see her, and it's Nikki. Telling him to be calm. Right. And I'm like, what the hell? The, flip, <laughs> the script is flipped. This guy is trying to give somebody lessons on staying calm and collected right. and, and together. And he's there and he's trying to get her to, to, to leave. And he's like, you know, you see him kind of, and they're in public. And he's like, he's really at his wits end with her. He's trying to give her a pager to keep tabs because he knows there's shady stuff going on. And, and oh, I just threw it away. And then now they're in their restaurant and he's like, just so pissed and she's starting to mouth off more in terms of becoming a liability and he's just realizing he, he, he a he cannot control her mm-hmm. which i'm sure is frustrating even though he tried to do it with with money and love and b he can also never get her to love him and she is able to control like any man and mm-hmm. she can command the room and she can sweet talk anybody but the one dude she can't control is the one that she's in love with you know in james wood's character but constant conflict and contrast of that is is, is, is is well done tip number 11 i want to say know what grade is and an example that the editor used was uh, finding a chip in the tooth and with uh martin scorsese she she says like he'll do certain takes and he's looking for something he can't really explain what it is he can't explain it to her but once it happens it's a martin scorsese thing and it can be these little things um, that he's looking for in a scene or with a character. It's a certain nuance that he's looking for. And once they hit that mark, then he's like, I got it. He may not be able to tell them exactly what it is. They're doing their thing. But once he finds it, um, he gets it. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I'm going to look some, at some more of his films to kind of understand what that thing is. But know what great is and also know what how to def- what a style is because that's a scorsese thing so know what a scorsese thing know what a tarantino thing know what a fincher thing is like understand what makes these different directors great or know what their style is and how they're able to achieve that style so study the greats and i know uh scorsese he studied a lot of uh films from like the 50s and 60s so his his knowledge is on films from those times. Mm. Study, study the directors and kind of know what makes them great. Tip 12, I don't know if this is a tip, but uh, 
it's not a joke to kill someone. No, it is not. <laughs> and uh, was it uh, Sharon Stone that was explaining this? That was Sharon Stone. Um, she just she was she partially part of it is that she was also talking about just you know, when you're acting with with Pesci and he's playing a role like like Nikki and she says when he's in character and you are in a scene with him you're not joking around you are scared for your life like literally terrified uh, for your life because the level of intensity he brings when he's in character is just believe it's, it's that believable he he is he is there and um and she mentioned that yeah when 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 people die in in, in film uh that it's it should in in, in, in martin scorsese's films the violence always has consequences mm-hmm. living a violent lifestyle has consequences uh, we we see this twice you know with 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 pesci's character um, in, in both Goodfellas and, and here in Casino that it, it's not glamorized yeah glamorized uh, the violence is not glamorized and at the end of the day it, it catches up and along the way it leaves a, a, a broad wide path of destruction you, you, you reap what you sow at the end of the day in, in a lot of these films I can get what she's saying is that it, sh- it should be taken seriously so when you're shooting certain things that are that should be seriously serious in nature, like killing someone, take it serious. You know, show the effects of what that really means. You know, mm. when you hit somebody in the shin with a baseball bat, Ding. you know, it's not a game. You know, it's just like somebody holding the shin, like oh, ow, 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 ow. It's not that. You know, mm. it's it's a different reaction. Again, I, again, what always the image, the image in all casino that always just sticks with me is at the end those bodies being thrown into yeah. that that grave and just I I, I, I when I was watching in high school I noticed man the bruises yeah. on the body I don't know why that's just I was like wow the body is all bruised up from just those strikes with those bats and they were still freaking alive still breathing buried alive oh that's terrifying that's terrifying. <laughs> Just be just have dirt just thrown on you and and you're laying on top of your dead brother yeah. who you assume is dead. He may still be alive too. Dude. Ah. And you and all and you're left with the thoughts of all the horrible things you've done, all the people you killed. Like, gee whiz. That's that's a that's a that's a terrible death. And that's a purposeful death. Like those people who did that to him, they wanted him to experience that. That's terrible. Because he was just that horrible. Um, they said in the autopsy that they had sand in their lungs, so they were breathing in they were the breathing sand. In. Oh, dude, dude, oh man! And, and who knows? You know, you might have had a collapsed lung already, and you're just getting hit with the bat, and you're bleeding everywhere. Bing, and you, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe you're like in a coma, a coma-like state. Yeah. You know, it just not maybe feeling yeah, anything at that point. Probably that. God probably let them experience it all. Mm. To the earth, God allowed them to, the, to experience it all, then they went to hell. To the earth you shall <laughs> return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Dude, yeah, that that's a brutal Aluminum scene. to aluminum. One of the funny scenes to me is De Niro talking to the guys in his backyard and uh, J- Joe Pesci and them. They're playing golf and then the CIA agent, the agents <laughs> or the FBI agents are right out of gas. Laying on the golf field, and they just run. Running. Yeah, man, wow. <laughs> they followed him that long that they ran out of gas. And the guys is like hundred dollars for the next person that can hit the plane. Hit <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't care. He's no. just living life to a hundred percent. At a point, was at a point when 
And they say in the film is at a point where even just to try and meet up, he had to like switch to like six different cars oh, just to crazy. shake your, your, you know, somebody trailing you. I'm like, who has access to that many cars? Um, but he had high end, high end surveillance. He was, I mean, he was, he was out of control, out of control. That's super hot. Um, one of uh, thirteen. Tip number thirteen. Last tip. Don't be afraid to go all the way. Um, Sharon Stone mentioned like directors are scared for women to go big, wide, deep. Uh, Martin really encourages that and mm. allows her to just really explore her character. And I don't know what what day and age this was when um, when they recorded this commentary. But uh, I think times are changing a little bit. You know, it's uh, mm. we're in a very different environment these days. It's 2018. So um, she was definitely being a voice for the women saying like, you know, hey, you know, some of these guys need to step up and let women, you know, have a voice. Could not agree more. And I, I, I love, you know, when you look at Scorsese, just the people that, and he's, he's, he's surrounded by just so many women. Um that he works with and clearly he has respect for and I love hearing these stories of when he goes to work with actresses that he's seen their films and and that he and that he's there to support his actresses and wants them to go all out I think uh, kudos to you Marty for for right. doing these things and and getting these wonderful performances out of these out of these actors and actresses yeah, hats off to you man hats off to you hats off to Sharon Stone uh, fantastic performance and Pesci and De Niro I like the fact that he cast his mother in the film. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's hilarious. She was in Goodfellas and she was in this one. Yeah, repeat, repeat performance. She was like, Pesci's mother <laughs> in, in Goodfellas. Right. And then she's the other guy's wife in this one. And they said that she was getting... <laughs> they, they just asked her just to play, kind of play in the scene. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy was kept like cursing and, and she was supposed to be like, you know, bothered by that. But didn't realize she really was bothered. Oh by man, it. it comes off perfect too. What do you kiss your mother with then? When, when did you start? <laughs> <laughs> Her reactions were on point and that's Martin Scorsese's mother. So that just, that just kind of shows you like that, like this, that culture. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they said that they're, even when they're not in the films, that like his parents are usually all, almost always on set. Wow. Just that kind of support. That's cool. Um, Cause you know, Scorsese is not a spring chicken, mm-hmm. and just uh, yeah, they had that kind of support. That's that's a beautiful thing. Oh, uh, when Scorsese when he's uh, resort when he's casting, just kind of going back a little bit, he's looking at certain actors and actresses, their previous work. He's really studying them and seeing if they can uh, be able to achieve certain points in his films. He's probably looking for little nuances inside their performances of their previous films to be like, I think she could play or he could play this uh, this role. So he's actually done a lot of the homework. And then I know Sharon Stone said she felt like kind of like dumb or, you know, after after the fact because she felt humiliated in a way because she was avoiding him. But he's actually studying her work. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, sure. You, I'm sure you've seen that. And he's like, yeah, actually, I have. I have. Yeah. And yeah. Da, 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 da. So. I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting way to um, to cast somebody, but you know, it, it, it's worthwhile. You know, studying the, their previous work because it is. It's a body of work. It absolutely is. It absolutely is a body of work, and I appreciate his his dedication to his craft. I mean, it shows. Even again, we we haven't mentioned this, but the music. Mm, I, yeah. I love his music selections, man. And I almost want to. I'm gonna try to uh, pull up Casino and just the like on Spotify and just let the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has great selections. Right? Working a, in a coal mine, I'm like, oh man. There's an interview that uh, Scorsese has with Charlie Rose, the young Charlie Rose, before we found out what was going down with Charlie mm. Rose. 
and <laughs> Scorsese talks about how he had like a dat he had like over sixty songs on his dat uh, player, and there were songs that were that would have been played at the time mm-hmm. when you know on the radio while this was going on. And even though that some of those songs were used in other films that were going on at the time in 1995, 96, it didn't really matter because this would uh, this was true to the story. Right. And they mentioned, you know, uh, early on with this being a film of excess that when they when they incorporate music, they also look at the, the time period and how music, how prevalent music was, uh, being that this was would have been in the what, like late 70s, 70s, 80s. 70s in today's right because her hairstyle definitely becomes 80s that music was everywhere by that point you know whether it was through album cassette or 8-track whereas you know some of the older films um, when music isn't as available then it's kind of done less sparingly still time specific mm. but they they really worked at that angle I'd be, I'd be very fascinated to see and revisit Wolf of Wall Street now to see how yeah. they how they use it this, this actually makes me want to revisit Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street so music, love, love how he, he uses music in his films. All right, everybody, that wraps up filmmaker commentary with Casino. Uh, we've had a special request for the movie Get Out by CJ Normalized. You can check his podcast out at CJ Normalized. I'm on SoundCloud, but um, we're going to check out Get Out. Get Out <laughs> with Jordan Peele. That's going to be an interesting discussion. That hey, we can talk about race and politics and pop culture and all kinds of stuff let's do it so yeah so tune in next time that'll be a special request episode and then we'll probably get back to some of scorsese's work until next time appreciate it everybody have a good one peace <laughs>